said, that must be for Boudreaux's dog or something. But as he got closer to it, he noticed above the door, it said, T-Pork Chop. Like the name, the name plate said T-Pork Chop. <laughs> That's a strange name to name a dog, but uh, you know, that's fine. So when he gets there, uh, he, he passes it and he calls up to the thing. He says, come here, T-Pork Chop. And sure enough, <laughs> a T-Cochon comes out. But he looks at this pig and he sees he's got a big scar across his snout. His jaw is all crooked and he has several teeth missing and he has a wooden leg. And he's, oh my goodness, what in the world is this all about? So he goes, finally makes it to the house and he starts talking to uh, <coughs> Boudreaux and uh, he says, you know, after they had some coffee, he says, Boudreaux, I've got to ask you something. He says, in the middle of your yard, there's that special pen with that special house. And he says, there's a name, T-Pork Chop. And he said, there's a, a little cochon in there. And he says, he's got that scar across his face, his jaw's broken, and he has a wooden leg. What in the world's going on with that thing? And Boudreaux says, oh, Thibodeau. T-Pork Chop, that's a special pig. He says, man, what do you mean? He says, about five years ago, he says, it gets cold up here. And he says, about five years ago, it was going to be about 20 degrees. And he says, so me and uh, Clotilde, when we went to bed, he says, we put a lot of wood on the fire. He says, but it got so hot that the chimney started to catch the cabin on fire. And he said, T-Pork Chop broke out of his pen with all the other pigs. And he ran to our window, and all he could do was reach his little snout on the glass. And he was banging and banging and banging because he seen the fire. He was trying to save us. And he said he kept banging and banging until finally he banged so hard that the glass broke and it slid his nose. And that noise woke us up and it saved our life. He says, oh, T-Pork Chop is such a special pig. He said it took 52 stitches to sew up that snout. So, oh, wow. He says, but what about his jaw? He says, well, that's another thing. Pork chop is such a tea pork chop is such a special pig. He said, he said when me and Marie went out, me and Clotilde went out to do the farming. He says one day about two years ago, poor little Marie woke up from her nap, and she crawled and got out her playpen and fell down the water well. And he says tea pork chop seen that and he broke out his pen again. And he went there and he grabbed that handle with the rope and the bucket and he says, he, with his mouth, he cranked that thing up. It broke his jaw and it broke his teeth, but he saved poor little Marie. He says, oh, T-Pork Chop is such a special dog. A special dog, special uh, pig. He says, well, wow, that's amazing. So he says, you got that in the middle of your thing. He says, yeah, I couldn't leave him with the rest of the pigs and things over there. He says, but you never told me why he, he has a wooden leg. And he says, well, that's another thing. He says, when you got a special pig like pork chop, you can't eat them all at once. <laughs> poor little pork chop. <laughs> uh, how many of you are going to tell that joke tomorrow? <laughs> all right. Let's get back to our notes here, or start with this. Uh, if you notice on your paper, it's, it's titled Limitless, the Power of God. And that word limitless means unending. Say, so if you take the first word limit, means it would be stopped or it would end at a certain point or there would be only a certain amount. 
But we're talking about the limit, limitless power of God, that it's never-ending, it's all-powerful, we could do all things. <clears throat> and if you notice on your paper, Romans 8.37, that first word says no. And, and I, I wasn't going to share these scriptures, but I'm, I'm going to. Now, so that you know what this word no is talking about from verse, uh, uh, the verse before it. But I want to go up. It'll be on the screen. If you have your notes, I want you to, uh, your Bibles. Look at this. I want to go up, back to Romans 8.28. I'll start with a few things. So Romans 8.28 says this. And, and, and we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now understand he's talking to believers here. And we know that in all things, the good, the bad, and the ugly, God works for the good. Now what you need to understand is that those words, God works for the good, is actually present tense when you look back in the original language. Meaning that it's not for a time that was in the past. It means it's active right now, right now, and in the future. That God is still working. Okay? That God is still working. And He takes all things. How many of you know there's a lot of junk in this world? See, God doesn't cause every bad situation we have in our life. Sad to say most of the things we go through is our own fault. You know, a lot. But we do go through things that are in ours that someone else does. And everything we do affects someone else. Just like you may be going through something right now that somebody else is doing that is affecting your life. But this doesn't limit God to working in that situation. The problem is we just don't like being in that situation. Right? We're ready to get that victory, but we need to understand God's Word says, and we know that in all things, and that's, that's the important thing is you have to know that even in the middle of the storm, God is working. You have to believe that the victory is on the way. And that's what I was sharing earlier of the, uh, when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, the reason they spent, in the, spent all that time in the desert was because they did not know or fully believe what God had planned for them. They, they always wanted to go back. They weren't walking in the victory the Lord had for them. So then, <clears throat> I want to jump down to verse 31. It says, saying that, knowing that God works for the good of those, he says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God's for you, who can be against you? And this is what you need to understand. Even though I'm going through bad things, if you're a child of God, you still have God on your side. Right? And, and God will work all things. We have to give Him time. We, but He's going to work all things for your good. Uh, when, I always said, when I got laid off from offshore, I don't know how many, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, I thought it was the worst thing ever, but I, I'm glad it happened today because that's where I am today. I wouldn't have been there. If it would have been my plan, I'd still be offshore working, okay, doing those things. But God can take what seems to be a terrible situation and make good come out of it, okay? God doesn't cause everything, all right? So then it goes on to this. <clears throat> if God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, he, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. Think about that. In other words, he's telling us he gave his son for you and he's not abandoning you. He's not, he didn't just, 
He didn't just die on the cross just so you could have the forgiveness of sins in your life and then leave you helpless here on earth with no help from Him. That you got to battle the rest of the world in this, in, uh, under your own power. <coughs> he said that He gave His Son. And if He gave His Son, won't He also help you? Give you all things. Okay? Uh, and when we're talking about, we're not talking about monetary things and just what the world offers, but gives you victory through the battles of this life. Then I want to jump to verse 36, which is right before your papers. It says, as it is written, for your sake, we, all, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But then notice the next word is no. He's letting you know that this was before you had victory in Christ. When you weren't his child, when you never surrendered to him, you were, you were up to face the world yourself. And notice what it says here, now on your papers. He says, no, in, in all things, all these things. Now what he's getting ready to tell you is, he's going to give you a list of things you're going to go through in this life. Jesus says in this world you will have trouble. But he also says you have the victory in it. All right? <clears throat> so it says, no, no, in all these things, we are more than what? Conquerors. Circle that. We are. It, says, it doesn't say we will be. It says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So I want you to understand that you, we need to stop our sad stories. The Israelites in the desert always just had the sad story and instead of walking uh, in victory that God had for them, they always were the victim. They had a victim mentality and well, we'd be better off going back. And let me tell you something, you could either be the victim or the victor, you can't be both. But he says we are more than conquerors. And again, that translates into the present tense. Meaning that it's not a one-time victory, it's a continual victory. You are more than a conqueror through Christ. Listen, so many times we struggle and we're struggling to win victory in our life. But reality is you already have the victory. You're not fighting for victory, you're fighting from victory. He's already won. He's already done everything. We say that the Israelites, he had already set them free from Egypt. They were no longer slaves to the Egyptians. But their minds wasn't. All right? So we have to understand that he sets, sets you free. <coughs> then notice what verse 38 says. For I am convinced. And these are the things that you're going to face in life. Okay, he says, for I am convinced that neither, neither death nor life, we're living, if you're here right now, you're alive. We, we, we're going to, each one of us, unless the Lord comes back first, we're going to face death in this mortal body. We've experienced death of loved ones in life. He says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers. I want you to circle that. Nor any powers. How many of you know that the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities? Right? Notice what he's saying there, that 
neither those powers. You see, I want you to know your enemy's powerful. He's more powerful than you, but he's not more powerful than the one that's in you. Okay? And that's what he's saying here. He says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers. In other words, he's telling you, God's limitless power will not let you be separated from the love of God. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. And so, in other words, he covered everything. Every situation you go through, he says, I am convinced that they will not be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to notice something, those last things. It will not be able to separate you from the love of what? Let's say, it, say that again. It will not be able to separate you from the love of God. Do you see what's happening here? Too many times we rely on and we focus on our love for Him instead of resting in His love for us. Do you know in the United States they say most criminals are from a fatherless home because they never felt the love of the Father? See, there's something about living and having the love of the Father around your life that, that keeps your life together. See, too many times, many of us in here, are, we, we, we focus more on how much do we love God, how much, and we feel like we always got to be doing something to, uh, you know, like we'd be getting points or something that, you know, oh, God's going to love me more if I do this or if I do that. And we, we focus so much on our love that is imperfect. Instead of resting in his perfect love. That's where he wants you to be. It's all based on his love for us, not our love for him. Now, that's not saying you don't have love for him, okay? But it's talking about too many times we get hung up on what I can do and what I'm focused on to gain his love that, and things. But God's saying that's not what it is. It's you need to just sit in my love and everything's going to change. Notice Romans 1.16 says this. Again, we're talking about the limitless power of God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, that God so loved the world that while we were yet sinners, God still loved us. While we did not love Him, He still loved us and sent His Son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Do you see how everything is really based on His love for us and not my love for Him? See, when I'm living for my love for Him, I'm in a struggle, in a battle. I always feel like a failure, like I'm not doing enough. But when you learn to sit in His love and how much He loves you, your whole life is going to change. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, gospel because it is the what? The power of God. The power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew, then the Gentile. <clears throat> How many of you remember Jesus says when he's talking about salvation, he says, with man this is 
impossible, meaning there's nothing you could do. You're helpless to do anything about your salvation. You cannot earn it. You cannot gain it. You cannot do anything to gain it. With man, it's impossible. But because of the power of God's love, the power of, of God, he says, but with God, what is impossible for man now becomes possible for man. But with God, and he doesn't just say salvation. And salvation is the biggest miracle ever. That you could be from dead to life. Right? But he says that all things are possible. So God specializes in doing the things that you cannot do. That is impossible for you. What he brings and makes it. And that word, uh, the, the um, word, the power of God comes from the word dunamis, which means to be able or possible the miraculous. The power of God to be able, he's not limited, we're limited. That's what Jesus was saying, with man it's impossible, he's saying you're limited. But with God, his power is limitless. And he could break, it, break the chains of darkness over your life. And he says that brings salvation to first the Jew and then the Gentile. Now I want you to look at um, Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. This is the Sadducees, and they're kind of talking to Jesus, but they're they're kind of they're trying to trap them and, and twist words and different things. And the Sadducees, I may remember what, what I had told you one thing to remember about them is they did not believe in a resurrection of the dead. And that's why I always made a mental note, that's sad. So they're sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. That's how my little pea brain has to... i got to make little things to help me remember those things. So sad, you see, they did not believe in a resurrection. But they studied God's Word, just like the, the Pharisees. They all studied God's Word. And what they'd done was they went to Jesus and they said, Well, look... According to the law of Moses, if a man marries a woman and he dies, his brother's supposed to marry her and all this. And he says, well, what if the, uh, there were seven brothers and the first one married and it went on down the line. Each one of them died, so the next brother says, when you get to heaven, she was married seven times here on earth. Who's going to be her husband? And Jesus makes this statement to them. You are in error because you, two things here. He says, you do not know the scriptures, circle that, that's one thing, the scriptures. And then he also says, are the power of God. So there's two things he says, you guys got missing. You don't know the scripture, the written word of God. And he says, apart from that, you also don't know the power of God. There's two different things. And I'm going to explain it to you here in a second here. So it says... Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 5, I just want to share with you quickly as we, as we focus on that scripture. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Are we in the last days? I have no idea. Am I worried about if we're in the last days? No, I'm just going to live ready to go right now. You know, if, you, if he wants to come back before the end of the service, I'm perfectly fine. You see, so many people are trying to figure out when he's coming back. But according to Scripture, Jesus says no one knows. 
In other words, it's not meant for you to know, so why are you trying to figure out when he's coming back? Because no one knows except the Father. So whenever you, someone comes out with a new book that says, here's when Jesus is coming back, we already know it's wrong because that person can't know. <laughs> and, and it's amazing that even Jesus' disciples all thought he was coming back in their lifetime. So ever since the crucifixion, every generation is believing it's in my lifetime. Right? But that's okay. We, we don't know. And the, the reason is, with God, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. So in his mind, I'm coming back tomorrow, but that's a thousand years to us, or something like that. So it says this, but in the last times, people will be lovers of themselves. All these things fit into this generation. But can I tell you, it fits into every generation. And... Reality is, as messed up as this world is right now, and again, United States, we're so blessed. We don't realize what's going on in the Middle East and all that stuff over there. But if you really read, like in the Old Testament, how messed up those people were, you say, whew, we're not that bad off as, uh, you know, as we think. But it says, people will be lovers of themselves. And when I read that, I was thinking of the selfie generation. <laughs> With the cell phones. <laughs> Love. Everybody's taking pictures of themselves. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm not saying that's what he's talking about. That's what it reminded me of. I was thinking, I said, I pray, God, please don't let people's faces stay like they are when they take their selfie. Why, why y'all got to do this? <laughs> Nobody takes a normal face. It's all these weird faces. Like, what are you trying to do? <laughs> so... Hopefully your face won't stay paralyzed. But people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, meaning ungrateful, not being thankful for anything. It's an entitlement. And this is kind of what this generation is turning to, even in these elections. I don't want to work for anything. Give it all to me. I want free this, free this, free that. I'm entitled to it. I don't want to work for anything. There's your, your political speech for today. Uh, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited. Now notice what he says. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. How many of you know that Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands? Okay? He says, verse 5 is what I really want to focus on. Having a form of godliness. So circle that. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Circle that have nothing to do with such people. Remember, Jesus told the, the Sadducees, you know the Scriptures, but, you, but I mean, you don't know the Scriptures and are the power of God. And this is what he's saying in the end times. There's going to be a form of godliness, but denying the power of God. Have nothing to do with those people. And on Facebook, I shared this statement about this. Sometimes people are so in love with the Scripture and studying of God and the history of things. And a long time ago, I'd watched this on the History Channel, this guy, I mean, he knew so much of the Bible, then at the end, I found out he was an atheist. 
but he studied the Bible as a history thing. And it's like, boy, I wish I knew had the knowledge he does of all the history of the Bible. Is that? But he didn't believe it. See, it was just a history thing to it. So with him, he, he knew God's Word, but he, he, there was no power behind it to change his life. He, he didn't accept it. So we have to be careful that we don't love the study of God's Word more than we love God. Can I say that again? We can actually love the study of God's Word, but not love God as much as we love studying. Knowing what God's Word says. That's what he said about the Scriptures, knowing the Scriptures and the power of God. What he says is you can have the doctrine of this. This is a better explanation. You can have the doctrine, the Word about the Spirit, about God, but not have the uh, Spirit of that doctrine. You understand? I could have written words about God, but not have God in my life. And God, Jesus is letting us know we need His written Word and the power of God in our life. Because it's only the power of God that can bring change. The, the written Word shows us everything. It's alive and active. We know that. But you need the Spirit of God. And that's why He's saying here, in the end times, they'll have a form of godliness. but not the power of God because they're still in bondage. They're still living in sin. They're still living like the rest of the world lives. There's no difference between you bring them up and you, you bring them to court and you cannot convict them of being a Christian. Because nothing in their life would say that any change came in your life. Can I tell you something? If, if you want from, went from death to life, there should be a change in you. Alright? If we go to... a, a a hospital and there's a corpse and a live person there, I think you could pick out who's alive and who's dead. It should be that obvious to us and to the world who's alive in Christ and who's dead in their sin. It should not be a wandering. And that's what he's saying. They have a form of godliness. They know what the Scripture says. They could quote Scripture to you their whole life. But the Spirit of God, that power of God is absent from their life that brings holy conviction, that brings change in our life. That is the power to break the addiction, the power to break everything. You know, Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and He'll say, I never knew you. I wish it would have said, few will say. But he says, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord. Call him Lord. Thinking he's their Lord. In other words, they had a form of godliness. They had a form, but they never really accepted him. He says, I never knew. In other words, I never came in your heart and changed your life. You never allowed that. You still wanted to be in control. You went to church. You raised your hands. You, you, went, you made sure you went... But I'm, you never really surrendered your life to me. Let me just <coughs> show you a couple of things here. Acts chapter 1 verse 5. And what I want to talk about is Jesus' water baptism, which is very symbolic for us. 
How many of you know water baptism doesn't save you? Okay. How many of you know that water baptism was going on before Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross? Okay. That, that's where Jesus, uh, says, Jesus says, for John baptized with water. But he says, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now I want you to picture Jesus going to John the Baptist to be baptized. He wasn't going for salvation, he was Jesus Christ. Sin free. He gets baptized, and water baptism means dying, going under the water, having your sins washed away, coming up in new life, born again salvation. Now, Jesus done it to show us that we need to have that in our life. Again, in uh, Matthew 28, 19, he says, make believers and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? So, when Jesus gets baptized, he goes under the water, and when he comes up, what happens? Heaven opens up, and the Holy Spirit, in the shape of a dove, form of a dove, the Holy Spirit's not a dove, okay? And he came down and it says lighted on him. In other words, covered him, entered him, and empowered him to do the ministry that he was created for. That's when he started his ministry, once that happened. Right right after that happens, he goes into the desert for 40 days to be tempted and to overcome temptation. Do you know why God waited till after the baptism? Because he needed the Holy Spirit in Jesus to work and get him through everything. Is the power of God working in you. And so when I become a believer, what really happens when I'm, I say I accept the Lord as uh, my Savior is um, just like the water baptism uh, illustrates, is I died. The old Scott died and was buried. That's when you're under the water it's talking about. And then your, your sins are gone. The blood of Jesus is applied to your life. And when you come out, the old man stays there. The new man comes out. The born-again man comes out. And just as the Spirit has descended from heaven, do you know why you're saved? Because the, the resurrection Spirit that rose Christ from the dead is alive in you now. And God's Spirit comes in you. So, let, let's see here quickly. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Do you not know, this is a far born-again believer, that your bodies... This body are the temples of the Holy Spirit. In other words, where the Holy Spirit dwells. Again, be- before Christ died and was resurrected, the Spirit of God would come over people, but it didn't live in people. Again, that, that old saying, many people heard that uh, the Spirit won't dwell in an unclean thing. It's not in the Bible, but this is where they get it from. Is it before, you know, uh, God used people, prophets, His Spirit would come upon them, but He didn't live in them like He lives in you. You're the resurrected you until Jesus died. And so we understand that God could use anybody. God can use an unsaved person to do things. Remember Balaam? And this is God used the donkey. Got to wake you up. God used Balaam's donkey to talk to Balaam. How do you think that donkey talked? It was the Spirit of God working through him. Okay? But to dwell inside and to make a home in, it's only a born-again believer that their sins are washed away because God's not going to dwell in an unclean temple. 
Okay? He, he may move, move and use you for things, but for him to permanently live and be inside you is someone who has been washed through Jesus Christ. He says, Do you not know your bodies are the temple of the, of the Holy Spirit? And where is he? In you. Who is in you? And whom you have received from God. Remember, the, the, whole, the sky opened up and Jesus, God said, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit came down and entered him. When you say you're born again, it's the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. And that's why born of the Spirit. Born again. And he says, he says you were bought. He says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You are not your own. In other words, you could, if you want to be your own, then you be your own. But God does not share ownership with anybody. Either you died to yourself, or you came up splashing for air and said, no, thank you. You were bought with a price, and then he says, therefore, honor God with your bodies. In other words, the way you live. You are representing the Holy Spirit in God. Honor Him. You are not your own no more. And when I, when I start living like the rest of the world does, you know what? I say, God, I'm taking back my ownership. It's about me. Just as, as we're reading those things, in the endless, in the be unholy, all these things, having a form of godliness. Right? I go to church, but I really don't live for Him. Romans 8.11 says, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. We're born again because of His Spirit who lives in you. And that's where we get the Scripture that says, You will live even though you die, you shall live. That we know that God has the all power that through the precious blood of Jesus Christ we're forgiven and this body won't make it to heaven. We're all going to be changed before. And, but he says that you can have life, eternal life, if the Spirit of God is in you. All right, and, and uh, Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to what? Say that again, according to what? His power, and where is it at work? Where is His power at work? In you. <coughs> Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he, he said to His disciples, and for everyone, again, Luke uh, 24, 49, I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with what? power from on high. They were already commissioned to go out and spread the gospel. But he says, don't do it on your own. He says, wait till the power of God, the Holy Spirit comes and uh, <coughs> dwells in you for that. And Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Let me tell you something. If the Holy Spirit doesn't come on you and enter you, you're not saved. And I'm not talking about speaking in tongues and that type of thing. But it's the Spirit of God. And 
and that's sort of the, I find some, a lot of people get nervous when you start talking about the Spirit of God. The Bible says God is Spirit. Again, it starts, oh, don't, let's call him Holy Spirit, not Holy Ghost. That's kind of starts scaring me. And they're scared of, listen, if you're scared of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God's not in you. <laughs> you have to let His Holy Spirit come in you to, so you're, you have, uh, you're reborn. You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. He says, but if you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and you will be my witnesses <coughs> in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And that's what we're talking about. You need for the victory to surrender your life to God completely. Because if God is for me, who can be against me? If I want a victory with something seems impossible, you can't do it on your own. With man, it's impossible, but with, with God, all things are possible. And again, don't ever get this wrong when all things... It's not God's your genie for your wish list, how you want to live your life and you want everything to go perfect. Okay? That's being, take some selfies there for you if that's what you want. We need to put God back on the throne in our life and remove ourselves. Okay, I'm going to stop. Brother Mark, if you want to go get Michelle, we're going to be receiving communion. When we truly love God and the Spirit's in us, God will change our desires. He'll begin to change us with Holy Ghost conviction in our life. Now, the thing is, when you receive the conviction, God doesn't force it on you for you to act. God doesn't make you into a robot. He's only going to say, throw up that red flag in that area and say, you know what? You know you shouldn't be doing that or you know you should do that. that, that that's, you know, a lot of times when we think about God, it's all, oh, what we can't do. Do you realize there's, you're going to stand for account of the things you should have done? that you didn't? Ephesians uh, 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, born again, to do good works that God has prepared for you. So God has a playbook for your life. And He's trying to uh, work through you in in the Holy Spirit in your life so you accomplish His plan for your life. So when you get to heaven, you're not only going to give account to all the things you, sh- you, did, you did that you shouldn't have. He's going to say, but this is the life I had for you. This was the plans I had for you. Right? What if Jesus, we're, we're getting ready to receive communion in his body and blood. What if Jesus would have decided, you know what? I'm just going to stay on earth and I'm going to tell them about you, Father, but I, I don't think I want to be crucified. I know that's your plan for me, but it's a little inconvenient for me. I don't want to be nailed to that cross. I don't want to be whipped. I don't want to feel all that pain. So I'm just going to bypass that. But I'm just going to do, you know, I'm not leaving you all together. But Jesus, when he went in the garden, said, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. And that's what we need to get to in this life, is saying, you know what, God, not my will, but thy will be done. We don't want to just have a form of godliness and not know the power, uh, experience the power of God to change your life and to set you free. Amen. So as our leaders would come and help with communion, I just want to 
invite you to receive communion with us here today. Uh, you don't have to be a member of Christian Fellowship Church to receive communion, but we do ask that you be born again believer. That's, that's what the biblically teaching. So everyone would stand to your feet right now. And if you've never accepted the Lord as your personal Savior, I want to give you that opportunity right now. And then you'll be welcome to come receive communion. So from your heart, okay, let this be more than just words because words, words just spoken are different than words from the heart. Right? You could say things but not truly mean it. This has to be, you could say a sinner's prayer 50 million times in your life, but if you've never said it from your heart and meant it, it it's, it's nothing more than empty words. So say this from your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today, and I believe that you love me so much that you sent your Son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. I invite Christ into my life today to be Lord of my life and Savior of my life. From this day forward, I want to walk in your will and your purpose for my life. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone says, Amen. So at this time, come down each aisle and hold on to the emblems and we'll receive them all together.
the Lamb of God. Lord, you gave, you gave your life away. You gave, you gave your life away. You gave, you gave your life away for me. Your grace has broken every chain. My sins are cold, my death's been chapter 14, Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 14, it says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly, eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds the fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it amongst you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of, fruit of the vine until it, the kingdom of God comes. And after he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup in the new uh, covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Father, we just come to you today. We thank you, Father, for the price that you paid, that you gave for each and every one of us. Father, as we receive the cup representing the blood of your son, the bread representing his body. Father, let us never take lightly the price that was paid for each and every one of us. That, Father, we realize that we're here on assignment and purpose from you. That our bodies don't belong to us anymore. That we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That your spirit lives and works through us, Father God, in us and through us. And we thank you for that right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time, you can receive the emotions. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. We love you. Amen. This week, you're going to walk in victory. Amen. Walk in victory in every area of your life. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night for prayer.